You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Check Up from the Neck Up, recorded on June 3rd, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike. Um, and I'm, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy I'm here. If you're here, or if you're in Freeport, Pennsylvania, or Indiana, Pennsylvania, or the Petroleum Valley, or even in the Armstrong County Jail, I'm happy to be talking to you right now. And I got a t-shirt. Yeah, I, I was given this t-shirt today. It's Harvest Kids. I'm proud to still be one of the kids. I, I always, uh, at the Catanian campus here, um, and, and if this isn't happening at the Indiana campus or the Freeport campus or the PVC campus, um, you need to encourage your pastors. I always keep candy in my office so that the kids, I have solidarity with the young'uns, right? They go in and they get candy. It's a total bribe to get them to like me. There was a note on my desk, because I've been gone two weeks, that said, pretty much, where's the candy our parents aren't producing? Sign the kids of America. So... The candy's back, but I love the kids. Where, where, where have I been? I was on vacation, sort of. I was also doing a wedding. My youngest daughter is married off. <laughs> married off. That's how you say it. Feels good. The first one, you cry. After a while, you're like, yes! <laughs> she married a nice California boy. Her new name is Catherine Michael Denny. She's one of those persons who has a first name, for a last name, and she flew off to Spain, and I haven't seen her since. I'm sure she came back to live in San Diego, and when I was in San Diego County for two weeks, I have a lot of family there, the first week was the wedding. That means, if you're my age, you know this, but if you're younger, you're going to run into this eventually, um, if you, and especially speaking to the men. If one of your kids is getting married, this is going to be one of the hardest weeks of your life as a man, and not because of the wedding. That's a cinch. It's because the women in your life are as stressed out as you've ever seen them. But they say they're happy. You know, we got flowers, we got hair, we got nails, we got parties, we got this. So I knew we needed an extra week just for my wife to relax. <laughs> so we went to church twice. And, I, and this, is, this was loaded. You thought I was talking about a wedding, but this was loaded. I have a preaching point here. Um, and I say to you who have families or you who are still single and one day may have families, when you're on vacation in the summer, go to church. In fact, I say it to you if you have no family. Vacation time is here. It is not time off from the Lord. Satan loves it when we get away from worship and God's people and get our mind on worldly things only. Remember, seven hard days can make one week. <laughs> And we need to stay in with the people of God. So when we go on vacation, we always find a church. And it's so easy now because they have their sermons online. And so a couple Sundays ago, we were at North Coast Church in Vista, California, where my adult kids love to go. Last week, I was at a church called The Resolved, and I enjoyed them both. And now I'm back. And I'm telling you, especially if you have kids, though, your kids need to know that Jesus is 24-7. He's not just um, when it's convenient that you... Uh, Worship should be a joy, but there's a duty to it, too. There's a duty to one another in the church, a duty to ourselves. You ever not felt like going to church, but you dragged yourself there anyway, and the Lord lifted you up when you were there? So there's a, a, 
The discipline of church is important for our lives. God put us on a seven-day cycle, and you do not want to teach your children that God isn't fun. So when we're having fun, we don't get up and go to church. So find churches when you're on vacation. That wasn't my only preaching point. (laughs) You should have known it was coming. When I was at the Resolve Church, I think, or the other, I don't remember which one of those two, one of them got up and made an announcement that I've heard made here. And they said something like this. You know, summertime, we like to give our workers a break. And that means we need people to come and volunteer for about eight or nine weeks off of summer to help with our kids' ministries, right? And I thought, this is happening at all four campuses of Harvest, and I'm out here in California not helping. So I'm here to help, all right? (laughs) All four of our campuses, we say to you, we love the kids. We don't just say it. There's an army of people, co-workers in Christ for all seven of our weekend services. There are people loving the children, shepherding the children, teaching the children, caring for the children, right? And, and in fact, in Catanning, I just got word that nine kids received Christ within the last few weeks. And that's a big deal. We don't take that lightly. We don't just take the, the hand up. We actually follow up and make sure they understand. So real change happens. Uh, children's ministry matters for a couple of reasons. One, we're teaching the children about the same gospel and the same Bible, but we're also teaching them how to worship, right? If they're not in the room... They're learning to sing, they're learning to pray, they're learning to sit and listen to messages, and they're learning to respond, just like you are out here. Remember, the the biggest group of pagans you ever bring to church are your own children. (laughs) You may not think of it that way, but no, Jesus has no grandchildren, so when your kids come out, they need to be saved. And so as they come, they get saved, and then we want to disciple them. But that is a group project. And this summer, we need some help, especially because this is always the time you do vacation Bible school. I think um, it has different names. The Catanning one is Summerfest. Is that everywhere now? I don't know. All of you people are creative at the campuses. But it, it takes a lot of work at the beginning of summer and then some steady love throughout the summer. So I'm calling you right now, yes, you, and saying, will you sign on your card saying, I can help? You made it, didn't plan on it before you sat down today. And you may, you may say, well, look, I don't know if I can be here all the weeks of the summer. That's okay. We are good with scheduling. The weeks you can, we can use you. But you might say, well, I don't know how to do it. I've never taught anybody before. Listen, we have a good program. We have a great gospel center curriculum. It's all very orderly. And we can easily teach you how you can just step in and participate at every single campus. All right? And some of you might say, well, I... I don't want to miss worship. I get that. And, I, and it may be a little extra work, but if you're at the Tanning campus, you have three choices every weekend. If you're at one of the other campuses, you can come to where I'm standing right now on Friday nights when we record this message and be a part of worship. In fact, a few weeks ago, uh, Christina Brooks from the Indiana campus was sitting here, and I said, what are you doing here, Christina? You're out of your campus. And she said, well, I have to teach this weekend. And I heard angels sing. You know, my pastor's heart was happy. Just so happened she's here again now. I don't know why. Maybe she doesn't like Scott Rising anymore. Scott, I love you. I want you people to know in Indiana that, in fact, I'm just teasing, of course, but were not his two sermons this past two weeks awesome? I think he just took care of business, and I really appreciated that. But whatever the reason, 
we'll even give you a nifty t-shirt. <laughs> Please just sign up. Say, I can be a helper. I'd like to try. You weren't thinking it was you, but if it's not you, who's it going to be? I'm going to set this here so I don't play with it the whole time. Well, we are in, so in all campuses, mark your Connect card, all right? We need you. Um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Just two verses today. So if you have your Bible, you can open it. If it's electronic, like mine is, do whatever you do. You might want to turn off your Facebook and go actually look at the Bible for a little bit. You can keep the Facebook open. If I get too boring, just jump right back over there. 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. This is the last chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. And, and, and Paul's winding things up and he's returning to themes he's already seen. So I'm going to read these two verses and then um, we'll see if we can apply them to our lives. Ready? Verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke, a yoke, a yoke, a yoke, is not an egg yoke, that's Y-O-L-K, um, it's not really the language we'd use, right? A yoke. It, it's a farm thing, right? It's made of wood and two animals put their heads in it so you can get them to pull the same time. If you're under a yoke as bond servants, another word I have to stop on, bond servants, another way to use that is slave. Regard that those under the yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those bondservants who have believing masters, listen to this part, (laughs) must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. What? Slavery? He's talking to slaves, bond servants. What's he talking about? Well, we have to, I think, understand what it was to be a slave in the first century if we're going to understand what Paul is saying. That way we can apply this to our own lives, right? I mean, any slaves here? No, I didn't think so. We don't have slavery today. So someone could say, hey, since we don't have slavery, Pastor Mike, why don't you just skip the slave verses and move on to something we do have? But this will apply to us, and it's in the Bible for a reason. But let's begin by asking, what's a bondservant like in Rome in the first century? Well, first of all, it's natural to wonder, Paul, why didn't you just preach against slavery? Become the first abolitionist here. Why didn't you just say, don't have slaves? Well, things are more complicated than they might seem. Roman slavery was not race-based. Our slavery is race-based. It wasn't, it's not really race-based, it's color-based. Because racism is really a bad name for not liking people who are a different color than you. Because we're all the same race. We're the human race. But I guess nobody wants to say colorism. So, and then there's so many shades of white and brown and black and other shades. But, but, but I'm going to stick with race-based since we agree on that. The, the slavery of the United States of America was particularly wicked because it's race-based. And you might say, well, are you saying that some slavery is worse than other slavery? I think I am saying that. No slavery is good. Some is worse. No slavery is good, some is worse. Why would race-based slavery be worse? Because it's based on the idea that one human being made in the image of God is inferior by nature. 
In other words, in America, we said black folk just ain't superior. And this is an insult to the image of God, insult to the word of God. It is akin to Hitler's Nazism, which said the Jews were animals and that the white Aryan race was better than other races. Now, I'm not justifying Roman slavery. I'm just saying what it wasn't. It wasn't race-based slavery in the United States. So when you think about it, go back a couple thousand years and try to look at it like they did. How would you become a slave then in the Roman Empire? If you wanted to be. You know, you, you have graduates getting out of school. What are you going to be? An engineer? What are you going to be? I'm going to be a nurse. What are you going to be? I'm going for bond servant. Well, how do you start a career as a bond servant? You might ask. Well, one, by losing a war. If you want to be a slave, get conquered by the Romans. One of the main ways of gaining slaves in Rome was the Romans would come, take all your stuff, kill your chief, and take you. And that happened quite frequently as Rome was the greatest, most expansive, most evil empire in the history of the world before or since. Another way to become a slave was through financial indebtedness. And I don't mean this figuratively, like Dave Ramsey would. You're a slave to your credit cards or whatever. I mean really a slave for financial indebtedness. And this could be voluntary, it could be involuntary. You could be in so much debt that the local governing people say, okay, the guy you owe is now your owner. And you can be a slave until you pay off that debt. Another way is, is voluntary. <laughs> you could say to somebody, can I be your slave for 10 years for this much money? And people would do that. Or they could be in so much debt, they'd say, I cannot pay you. Would you take me and my wife and my children and we'll all be your slaves? No one wanted to, but they would do it. And there's also a very unfortunate slave by breeding. You could be born into a slave family. Unlike American slavery, also slaves could gain wealth. Although the wealth ultimately was owned by their owner, if he wanted it, it was theirs too. And some of them actually grew somewhat wealthy, and, and you could buy your own freedom, and many did. There are cases in Roman history that people were slaves, were good at it, made some money, <laughs> bought their own freedom, and would go on and buy other people and oppress them as slaves. So, you know, they, they figured, you know, somebody kept me down, I'm going to keep someone else down. Slavery was very prolific. At one point, one in three members of, of, of Italy, of Italian society, uh, was, was a slave. The Senate, and at one point, somebody came up with the idea, let's make the slaves all dressed alike, because sometimes we can't tell the slaves from the free man. And then another senator pointed out, don't do that, or they'll start to figure out how many of them there are, <laughs> and they might rise up against us. You see, slavery became a very good financial option, in the eyes of the Romans. It wasn't good in my mind, but to the Romans, if you could have, and poor people had slaves, not just the wealthy, as in America, but the poor might even have a slave or two. And so that's how you got work done. So it was very prolific, it was everywhere. That is why it pops up in Paul's letters quite a bit. Some of the folks getting saved were slaves. And some of the folks who were getting saved owned slaves. Paul did not address and just say, release your slaves, although he did address how being a believer should impact 
the way you behave as a slave and the way you behave as a slave owner. He also wrote an individual letter in the Bible called the letter to Philemon, which you can read yourself. It's the it's not the shortest in the New Testament. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament. And it only takes one page of your Bible. And it is a letter from Paul to a guy named Philemon telling him, please release Onesimus, your runaway slave. Because he ran away from you. He came to me. I preached the gospel, got him saved. You're saved. So why don't you let him go? So Paul was for freedom for slaves. In fact, he would write, well, let me read you what he'd write about freedom for slaves. This is from 1 Corinthians, not our text, of course, but here it is. He says, each one should remain in the condition which he was called. If you get saved, you shouldn't divorce your wife if if she's not a Christian and quit your job, or you should stay right where you are. Were you a bondservant when you're called or a slave? Don't be concerned about it. (laughs) It seems if I'm a slave, I'm concerned about it. (laughs) But Paul says, are you a slave? Yeah, does this mean I get out? No. Now, this can be difficult if you're in a difficult position, you want to get out of it. But I, we, we have uh, people in jail who are listening to me right now <laughs> because we have a group of people who take our messages to the jail. And this speaks directly to you. you. You want to be free from jail. You hope because you come to Christ, he'll just let you out. And that would be a hope. It's, it's natural to want that freedom. But Paul is even saying to you, this is where you're called. Be a Christian there. But then he says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So so he says, it's better to be free than a slave. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. We don't have time to explore this passage and stick with 1 Timothy, but there's something to be said there. They can lock you up on the outside, but on the inside, you can be free. Likewise, he who was free when called a bondservant of Christ, you were bought with a price. Do not become a bondservant of men. So Jesus Christ purchased you now. And that's all of you. You're all, if you will, slaves of Christ now. Um, That's one picture. A bondservant of Christ. What did he buy you with? His precious blood. Uh, The the metaphor breaks down very quickly because now you are free. But nevertheless, since you're free in Christ, do not make yourself a slave. So he's telling people, do not manage your finances in such a way that they can put you in jail but make you someone's slave. If you're free, stay free. So he does speak on enslavement. So here's the question and then the answer. Here's the question. I read the text to you. We're going to look at it. What can you and I learn from our text on bond servants. We're not slaves. What, what can we learn? How can we gain from this? Second is the answer. Whatever applies to a bond servant in this text applies also to employees who are free. To put it another way, if a, if a slave should serve a certain way because he or she is a Christian, how much more should a free person serve? In other words, we're not slaves in America. However, there's an indentured nature if you have a job or if you're a boss and you, have, and you pay people. There's an agreement you've made with someone. I will be here. I will not be free. I will come to where you say. I will do what you say. And you will give me a certain amount of money. 
that's very similar to slavery, right? Very similar in its financial exchange. It's a little more generous, and it normally ends after eight hours a day or less, sometimes longer. So our lessons are going to be how to be an employee, really, or how to be a boss. Now, you may be unemployed. Get a job. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. So two lessons for bond servants that apply to Christians. All right, we're moving right. This is a fast sermon. We're moving right to application. Normally you got to let me go on for a good 20 minutes before I can start yelling at you. I can start yelling at you right now. All right. For those who are newer here, I'm not really going to be mad or yell at you. What that means is um, there's teaching and preaching in the Bible, and, and we often try to figure out what's the difference between teaching and preaching. Well, when the preacher is talking in a nice, calm uh, voice and he's restrained, he's teaching. When he starts to scream at you, he's preaching. That's how you know. That's what I mean. We can start yelling now. Um, so here's number one. Your attitude at work impacts how people speak of God and of the things we teach at church. Your attitude, and you might think, well, people at work don't know I'm a Christian. Yes, they do. How do you know? I just know from experience. They always figure it out. It doesn't take long. There are signs, <laughs> you know, a, a, a Bible verse on a computer monitor. <laughs> there, there could be, you, you, you use the word blessing more than anybody else. <laughs> oh, it was a blessing. Oh, it's one of those. And they talk about you in the break room. They know you're a Christian. They do. And your attitude at work impacts how people speak, not of you, but of God. That's what the text says. And the issue that Paul is concerned with is the attitude of the heart. Right? (laughs) What's an attitude? You know what an attitude is. It's a way that you choose to look at your circumstances. It's a way you choose. It's not an automatic thing. All of us choose. Right? Two people walk outside. (laughs) One of them says, oh, it's raining. Their attitude towards the rain, negative. Another one walks outside and says, yes, I get to use my new umbrella. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's a choice. There's some some whose attitude is negative and complaining. Others, they're always, it's like they're going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and they bring the tartar sauce. They're like, I'm going to win this fight. We do not have control all the time of our circumstances. Well, actually, we never have complete control of our circumstances. Right? (laughs) How many mental breakdowns are really just about that fact? Anorexia, eating disorders, it's about nothing else but that. I can't control things in my world. OCD, anxiety disorders, they're about nothing but that. You know, worry and tension and stress. It's just I can't control. Well, let's just accept it as a fact. You can't control your circumstances. You can't control the world. But you can control your attitude. You can. So our text, just as a reminder, said in verse 1, let all who are under 
a yoke as bondservants, here's the word, regard their own masters as worthy of honor. Notice the word regard. That's the, attitude, that's the command that he gives to the slave. And therefore, it's the command he gives to you if you're an employee of anybody. Regard means let the slave choose to regard their master as worthy of honor. If, if you've been paying close attention, you'll know when Scott preached the last two weeks, he told you you were to honor the elders among you which I appreciated. Two weeks ago, I listened to the sermon, and he told you all you should give double honor to the ones who work hard at preaching and teaching. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to come home, and they're going to love me. And then the following week, he said, you should accuse your elders of sin. And I was like, I don't want to go home. (laughs) Nevertheless, he was talking about honoring elders. Before that, the week before that, Paul told us, honor the widows, and especially these certain widows who, who work to serve others in the church. Well, now he's telling slaves, not honor elders or widows. Who doesn't want to honor those? Honor your master and you're a slave. Who wants to honor their master if they're a slave? I don't. I already know it. I want to say you're not the boss of me to anyone who tells me what to do. <laughs> I don't imagine. What would it be like if someone owned me? But he says, regard them. That means it's choice. So Christian employees in the room. By the way, there's a little trick to this. Everyone's under someone's authority. This will go to Christians who live with their parents. This will go to Christians who are students in schools. Do you honor your supervisor or your boss? You don't know my boss. My boss is a tyrant. My boss makes Stalin look like Mr. Rogers. My boss is awful. It doesn't matter, does it? The text gives no if the boss is worthy of honor. You know, we like to say, I don't have to show him any respect because he hadn't earned any respect. Yeah, you do. You do. Just because he's the boss or she's the boss. You do. Do you slander? I mean, talk bad about the boss in the great break room or outside? Do you gossip? Do you cut corners at work? Because that's dishonoring your boss. He says, do this. You don't go, I can do this the easy way. Do you pilfer? You know, steal little stuff? Heck, they don't pay me enough anyway. Do you do that? Do you talk back? Or do you say, yes, sir, and then talk back to the people around you about how horrible your boss is? If so, Jesus Christ, the Lord who made heaven and earth, is telling you personally, fix your attitude. You are wrong. I do not care if you're underpaid. I do not care if the person's an ogre. You're there freely. If it's too oppressive, quit. But if you're going to be there, fix your attitude. And it's not about your blessing. According to this scripture, if you dishonor your boss, you are defaming the name of God so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. They know you're a Christian. 
This is how you witness. You sit around worrying. I don't know if I can tell them about Jesus. Try first just having a great attitude at work. Show up on time. Smile on your face. Wash your hair. Do what you said you'd do. And what will happen? God will be honored. Don't do that. God is dishonored. And so is the teaching, it says. I don't know exactly what Paul had in mind. But I can imagine a boss saying, yeah, that's the Christian. If I could get him to work, if I can get him to just, he gives me nothing but trouble. Heck, I don't even ask him to do anything anymore because he gives me nothing but trouble. You're dishonoring your God. Don't do that. The second way we can learn from these slaves is if the boss is a Christian. Now, this is a mind blower to me. (laughs) If, If the boss is a Christian, the fact that a believer benefits by your work should motivate you to have a good attitude. There's magic in this application. There's magic for the human soul. There is magic for the human soul in this. We live in an I gotta get what's mine society. What's in it for me? And when you go to work, that's what you think about. What's in it for me? But the Bible says, celebrate the prosperity of others. Let me read the verse again. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful. Why not? On the ground that they're brothers. Why would you be disrespectful because someone's a brother? Because you take advantage of family members. All of you guys at church are polite to the people. We have a handshake time, right? You never meet a new person and go, Hi, I hate you, you're stupid, I, you know. You're polite. You go home, someone in your family annoys you, you say, shut up, brat. Why is that? Well, they let you get away with it at home, right? Isn't that true? Can I ask you, which one's the real you? Well, in a sense, they both are. However, (laughs) however, you ever doubted you're a sinner? Well, I was under stress when my brother said that to me. That's why I called him a brat. Oh, so if there's enough pressure on you, the real you shows up and the real you's a jerk. Is that what you're saying? Well, kind of. Okay. We can take advantage. This is why being a Christian at home is, is one of your main discipleship skills. Do you want to learn to be someone who loves Jesus with all your heart? Try being nice to your husband or wife all the time. Try being nice to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, whoever you feel very safe being a jerk with. We all have those people we feel safe being a jerk with. Very few people feel safe being a jerk in public. They get beat up a lot. (laughs) Most people, though, feel pretty safe being a jerk at home. And Paul knows that. He says, if your boss is a Christian, don't be disrespectful to him because you know he's got to love you. You He's got to forgive me he's a Christian. Rather, he says, you must serve him all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. This is the magic part. The thing in your heart and my heart that causes us all the interpersonal relational troubles in our lives is envy. 
Next week, more on envy. I don't know if that's going to lose some attendance next week or gain it, but (laughs) but that's what does it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Be happy for the successes of others in your family, and, and especially if God loves them. Here's the principle. It's important to bless others, especially those who God has saved. You're like, is that really in the Bible? That doesn't sound like a quality. Shouldn't we be just as good to everybody? No. (laughs) Believe it or not, no. You don't have that kind of energy. You're not God. And ultimately, God isn't either. Ultimately, God sends some of us to hell and some of us to heaven. No, it's important to bless others, especially those whom God has saved. If someone's beloved by God, how are you going to treat that person? Well, there's church business meetings and people can treat people really poorly who are beloved by God, can't they? Do you think that's wise? I think people should tremble before they act the fool at a church meeting. Because you're dealing with a saint who will glow like the sun in glory. Well, they ain't glowing now. (laughs) Maybe. Look, I'm a parent. As a parent, people who like my kids, I like. If you're not a parent, you don't get that, but you will. People who hate my kids, I just got to keep my wife from killing them. (laughs) And if you don't have a wife, you'll get that if you get one, because that's, (laughs) trust me, it's never the man who wants to kill them. It's always the mama bear. I struggle with people who aren't good to my kids. What about God's kids? You say, this is not in the Bible. It's not? What did God say to Abraham, the father of us all by faith? I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. So the way we treat Abraham helps to find how God treats us. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's just Abraham. Well, it's not the only place. How about when God sent out the 70? And he said, wherever you go, when you go to a town to declare the repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and tell them the good news, if they take you in, eat the food they give you. And if they receive you, let your peace remain. So, disciple comes to your town, you let him in, you give him a sandwich, and he says, shalom, peace be, and God's peace is on the house because they were good to God's servant. But if they're not good to you, just do this on the way out. Now, Middle Easterners don't like touching the bottom of their feet. So why would they do that? Because even the dirtiest part of me, you are not worthy of. And God is keeping score of who's not good to his people. You say, wait a minute, this is not the God who loves everybody. It is the God who loves everybody. He's holy. He'll save anyone who'll come to him. But if people are going to hate him and hate his people, you should tremble. It's a fearful thing to be unkind to the people of God. In Mark 9, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Someone just gives you a cup of water because you're thirsty and they know you're a Christian. That person, God's saying, I'm going to bless that person because they were good to my people. 
whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, though, I'll add though, because it's a contrast, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. That's how God treats people who mistreat his people. He's a very jealous God. Listen, <laughs> when people are kind to you, pray for them. When, you, when I go to a restaurant, sometimes I will I'll say, let's pray, and we'll pray, and I will, I will sometimes pray for the server by name, and I'll pray for the restaurant. And I'll say, God, bless this restaurant because they are feeding your children. I think my kids think I'm nuts. <laughs> they open their eyes, they're like, what is he coming up with now? But it's true. They're feeding his children. May they be blessed. If, if people are kind to you, bless them. If people are unkind to you, bless them. Right? Because there's hope for them. Don't hate them. Jesus loved his enemies. So should you. He loved you when you were an enemy. Bless them that God would have mercy on them. As an employee, is your boss a Christian? You say, yeah, but he don't, he don't live like he should. I didn't ask you to judge him or her. You may have a responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ in the right moment to bring up a sin, just like you would with anyone else, and say, brother, you got to stop doing this. But on the general whole, if you're not doing that, if you haven't been convicted to that level, which is courageous, it could mean you lose your job, I don't care if he or she is perfect, they are a son or a daughter of the living God. If the president's son or daughter comes into your house, how do you treat them? Right? You, it's an important person that you, that you work for. And the Bible is actually saying, if, if you have an, a, a, an employer, regard them with honor. If they're a believer, even more. Because if God blesses their business, it's your brother or your sister. You want their business to flourish, not just because you might get a raise, but because they're a brother and sister of God, just like you should be happy if a member of your family gets a raise at work. Right? And here is where we can say, but it's hard to adjust my attitude. (laughs) I'm only flesh and blood. Who here has trouble with attitude adjustment, right? Right? You need a checkup from the neck up, son. You're guilty of stinking thinking. You're stuck on stupid. All those statements are made by people who are trying to say, you need an attitude adjustment. You can do it. I said, but it's hard. I'm only flesh and blood, but he is spirit and he is within us. Let let me show you a spiritual principle that'll help. And it comes in another text about slaves. This one from Ephesians. Listen to what Paul says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's an attitude, fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Right? If your mom says, could you sweep up this room? You'll sweep it up. And if you've been feeling real good about your mom, you're going to do a great job. If you're kind of ticked at your mom, you're putting stuff under the rug. If Jesus shows up with all his glory and says, would you sweep the floor? You, I mean, you're going to sweep it so clean. It'll be the cleanest, wouldn't it? If Jesus asked you to sweep the floor. Well, this is saying, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, 
not by way of eye service, not just when the boss is looking, but at, not as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. What this text is literally saying to the bond servant, therefore every Christian employee, when you go to work, pretend Jesus is the boss because he is. But I only make minimum wage. Your wage at this point is irrelevant. Whether you make $1,000 a day or $50 a day, Jesus is the boss. And you say, this is just a mental trick. Just a mental trick to make me work harder. No, it's not. Because watch this. Watch what it says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Did you ever see that promise in Scripture before? Any good you do at work with a good attitude. At work. Wait, I wasn't witnessing or anybody. I was just straightening up the shells like the boss said. I know. (laughs) And you did it with a good attitude as if the Lord had told you. Yeah. But I mean, I didn't get anyone saved or send missionaries or nothing. No. And I got paid a few bucks. It doesn't matter. That's your earthly employer gave you a few bucks. (laughs) Your heavenly employer, he doesn't, I mean, when Jesus comes back, this is a strange way to say it, it's payday, baby. It's Friday. He said, well, what wage does he pay? I don't know, but all indications, all hints in parables and in promises in scripture say that he pays stupid good. I mean, as they say, the benefits are out of this world. And that, that, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. We never really work for anyone on earth. We never even, kids, if you're your parents, I would tell my kids straight out, because kids have a sense of justice, and sometimes, sometimes a dad can be wrong. Or a mom. I know it's weird, it's hard to believe. And sometimes my kids would feel injustice at the righteous just and seriously wise decisions of their father. And I would see the injustice on their face. They want to appeal to a higher power, but there is none in the house. I am the king. And they'd say, Dad, the famous words, the famous cry of the oppressed, it's not fair. And sometimes they'd get me and I'd think, I wouldn't always show the doubt, but I think they could be right. I could be a little harsh on this one. And I wouldn't know either. And then they'd get my speech, which they could tell you to this day. They're all grown. The speech went like this. Okay, you could be right on this. But you still have to do what I say. Not because I'm right, but because the Bible says, honor your father and mother. So do it because Jesus told you to. (laughs) And that's how we should look at teachers, parents, employers, because it's really true. If I ask too much of my child and he delivers because he loves the Lord, the Lord will repay him. I'm probably going to have to answer for something too. (laughs) One of the best ways to glorify God is to have a great attitude at work. Did you know that? Did you know that? You can glorify God simply by having a great attitude at work. And it's your decision. Bad attitudes are a choice. Bad attitudes are a choice. If you see a bad attitude on an employee, they're choosing it. 
And, and if you are an employee, could you please quit telling people you want to go home? It is not a good witness. You say to a Christian, how are you doing today? They say, I'll be doing better at 4 o'clock. You're like, okay, why don't you just spit on me? I'm serious. Do you think anyone wants to hear that you whine, that you are employed? Thank God you have a job. Let the world say that. Don't let the Christians say that. Don't let the Christians say that. I'm doing great. God's given me this job. I'm here with you. You say, ah, it's not my attitude. Change it! That's what the Bible says. Your work is a holy offering to God. Did you ever think of that? You didn't value your job. But the Bible says that God is the employer. So as long as you agree to work there, it is holy. You don't worship on Sunday or Friday night and then go back to non-worship when you go to work. It's worship. It's your offering. Treat it that way. Put a smile on your face. Show up to meetings. Sit up straight even if they're boring. Show respect to your fellow workers. Paul is preaching to our attitudes. Don't be mopey, whiny, complaining, resentful, bitter, lazy, victim-centered, or gossipy. We're Christians. We're children of God. We're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And here you say, wait a minute, Jesus never had to work where I have to work. He never had to submit to this kind. Oh, he didn't, did he? Philippians 2. Let's close with this, with a picture of our Lord. Have this mind among yourself. That means have this attitude. Have this mind means determine that this is your outlook, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, literally bondservant or slave. For God to become man with all our frailties was like becoming a slave to his own creation. He did it. You can do it. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient, yes. He did attitude adjustments all the time. He said, I've got to go and die for the sins of the world. And Peter gets in his face and says, Lord, stop talking like that. You're the Messiah. You're never going to die. Jesus did an attitude adjustment on him and Peter. He says, Peter, you need a checkup from the neck up, son. That part got scribbled out of the Bible, but it was in there. (laughs) He said, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. For this purpose, I came. He was in the garden. Did not want to die for the sins of the world, not because he didn't love us, but because it was going to be hard. And he said, Lord, not my will, but yours. He submitted a lot more there than I've ever had to submit to in any job. He went before Pilate who said, son, don't you understand? I have the power over your life. You better start talking. And Jesus says, okay, I'll talk. You don't have any power at all. At all. I came here because my father sent me. And he submitted to Pilate, who said, send him to a cross. Why would Jesus submit to a cross and even death? I'm going to tell you why. You ready? God hates sin. That's why. How much does he hate sin? So much that if a man, woman dies in their own sins, he will punish them in hell forever. 
because he's holy. And he hates that. And he hates it so much that he would punish his own son and shed his blood to rescue those humans from hell. Jesus died as a good employee, if you will, or slave of his father with a good attitude so that you could have eternal life for free. So when you're, I mean, I'm not making too much of this. Don't think I am. When you go to work, it's a holy matter because you're following in the footsteps of a humble man. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God the Father that Christ is Lord. So, Jesus adjusted his attitude to save the world. Christians, how many of you need to repent of sin? And you know it. I don't know it, but you know it because you go to work. You show up late, you're lazy, you lie, you steal, you're bad to the boss, you cut corners, you gossip, you don't give 100% and your attitude stinks. Now, if any of that's you, you know it, I don't. What should you do? Well, remember, Jesus loves you and died for your sins. He gave you this word, not so you'd condemn yourself, but so you could say, Lord, I'm sorry, what was I thinking? I call you to change. You might say, well, I've never been good at work, and I don't even know why I should be. Maybe you haven't received Jesus as your Savior. If so, I don't know if I've made it clear in the message, so let me make it as clear as I can. All your sins were paid for by Jesus who died in your place. He rose from the dead, and he says to you, your sins will be forgiven if you trust me, if you follow me. Maybe this is your day to follow Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.